City Bridges. This is Randy Bartlett, and this is We Make the Road by Walking, the podcast where I talk with people from all walks of life about the paths they have traveled and what they have learned along the way. Welcome to this week's episode of We Make the Road by Walking. I'm really excited about this particular episode. Uh, You'll find out who I'm talking to later, but it really is an invitation to listen to stories, uh, hear about the paths that people have made, hear about the journeys that they have taken, especially people that are close to you, uh, that are members of your family or people you've known a long time. So take the time to do that. Take the time to listen. Also, please take the time to like We Make the Road by Walking, give it five stars, give it a good review, share it with your friends, uh, share it with your neighbors, share it with teens. Remember, this podcast is a production of City of Bridges High School, and it really exists to share those stories. So without further ado, welcome to episode two of season two of We Make the Road by Walking. So I'm really excited about the guest that's joining us for uh, We Make the Road by Walking, and I'll have him introduce himself in just a minute. But this is my brother, David Bates, or David Bartlett Bates. Um, we can talk about that later. Uh, and I'm really excited about this because not only are we going to get to hear about his journey for you as listeners, but I, as his older brother, I'm going to get to hear about his journey, which I know from an external standpoint, but not internally. So that's going to be really exciting. So with that being said, welcome. And uh, would you introduce yourself and give us a little overview of what you do now? Well, first, thank, thanks for having me on. I'm, I'm thrilled to be here. So I'm David, as you said, David Bates. But because I'm Randy's brother, I was born David Bartlett, which confuses people. But I I did take my wife's name when we got married. But what I do now is I'm a radiologist at a cancer hospital in New York. Spend my days mostly looking at CAT scans or MRIs or ultrasound x-rays, that sort of thing. And then occasionally, a handful of times every week, I'll do image-guided biopsies where we use generally ultrasound to use a needle to take a sample of something that's inside someone. And that's kind of what I do. I didn't think this would necessarily be what I would end up doing, but you know, you look up one day and this is what you're doing. So that, that's kind of how we are. Before we dive into that, I just want to note one of the things that I love about our family. So I am Randy Bartlett and my wife Paige kept her last name. So she's a Wigman is her last name. Right. Um, and of our children, one of them is a Bartlett and, and two are Wigmans because they're twins. So that's the way that worked out. And then Dave uh, took his wife, Larissa's last name. So he's a Bates and their two kids are Bates. And then our sister, Elica, took her husband's last name, which is McGuire. And so they're two McGuire kids as well. And then Paige's sister, Park, she and her husband both kept their last names and their kids are split one with each last name too. So it's, it's, it's like totally, a, totally confusing. Yeah. It's a, it's a genealogist nightmare. So. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's going to be a real problem in a hundred years when someone looks back and tries to figure out who the hell we all were. We actually, one of the boys <laughs> just broke part of the stairs. Uh, oh. And in doing so, we discovered a little like cavern and we oh. made, made a little time capsule before we glued it all back together. Oh, uh, that's cool. So talk about a hundred years. So I'd love to return to what you said there about your journey to this point and it not being necessarily where you expected to be. Because I 
also, you know, when you were in high school, I wouldn't have said, oh, I bet my brother's going to end up to be a radiologist. And I'd love to hear a little bit of your journey from high school to now being a, a radiologist for a, a really well-known cancer center and hospital. How'd, how'd you get from point A to point B? So if we start back, when I was a teenager, I, I really didn't think I was going to go into medicine or, or do anything like that. I have an older sister who's between us, who I think she kind of always knew she was going to go into medicine. So she always was kind of doing health stuff. And I liked school, but I really loved sports and particularly one sport, which I I won't talk about too much on your show, but I I wrestled and I loved to travel around and wrestle. And when I was looking at colleges, actually, that was kind of my one criteria was where I could go and wrestle and and even just how I ended up going to the college I did was sort of odd. I was being recruited by, by one college, and I went and watched them in a match against another college. And the college that was recruiting me got beat terribly. And so I was like, hey, who's this other, who's this other school that I hadn't really heard of? So I ended up um, looking at it and applying and going there. Is that really, that's the way it worked out? That is how it worked out. I had no idea. (laughs) Which is when you're like 16, I mean, this is maybe, I don't want to judge other people, but maybe this is how I thought. Can I tell you, so one of the reasons that I, I went to Oberlin and one of the reasons I picked Oberlin, like, you know, I was touring small liberal arts colleges with our father and I went to Oberlin and I went in a couple of the co-ops and there was like all this punk rock graffiti on the wall in the co-op. Yeah. And I was like, yeah, this is the place I want to go. So yeah. it wasn't wrestling. It was like punk rock graffiti that helped yeah. me make my choice. It's so weird, like how this happens. And actually, I almost went, so I looked at, at some schools that were Division One and Division Three, and I went on an overnight to a Division One school, and I thought maybe this was going to be it, and it was gonna, I was really going to commit and do it. And the guys I stayed with were like in a fraternity, and they were just like drinking heavily all night, and I had no interest and it was just like a very weird visit. So then I went to Wesleyan and stayed with the wrestlers. They were like very nice, pleasant people. We got along and it was, it was really fun. And I liked the whole vibes. So that's how I ended up there. But it's sort of like you. It's sort of like you, you're 16 or 17 and you go on this like whimsical gut feeling. And then that's, that ends up setting you on a trajectory for your life. I, I remember talking to our father at that point in time. Sports were not my thing in high school. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so I wasn't looking at any Division One schools. All of the schools I was looking at were these small, you know, artsy, liberal arts schools. And like the truth of the matter is from an education standpoint, I would have got a great education at any of them. Like it didn't right. really matter. Yeah. And so it was like, you know, which one had the feel to it. And then for me, you know, I got a great education, but I also met my wife and, and found my passion and vocation all because of that initial choice. You were a bio major and then you were a religion major? I was, because I, I loved the sciences in high school. I was going to study the sciences and I, not be a doctor. Like I, right. I never, medicine was never on the table for me, but study the sciences and maybe be like a biology professor or something like that. And then I took uh, Christian Utopies and Communitarian Movements class my first year and then became a religion and history major. <laughs> what did you end up studying at Wesleyan? See, I don't even know. Well... I had a great photography teacher in high school and I initially was a studio art major and um, yeah, there's a guy in high school. He had been like a professional photographer in New York and then he came to move to the country and have like a peaceful life, not really a country, but like small town, New England. 
and it was really great. And so I, I went to college thinking I would, you know, do my sport, study photography, and then end up being like a teacher and a, maybe a wrestling coach. Secretly, that's what I thought too. Not for me, yeah. but for you. Yeah. Yeah. That's what I, that's what I still think. <laughs> <laughs> I'm still, I'm still thinking I'm on that path eventually somehow. Decided to be a major in studio arts. I did that. Um, so I went and I took some art courses. I took some other courses. I took, you know, liberal arts. You can study whatever you want. Um, I, I don't know that there were any requirements that I can remember. And then at some point after my, towards the end of my first year of college, I got this job working for this couple who were photographers in New York. So I moved to New York City with my girlfriend after my first year of college. I had never been to New York except for like one overnight trip ever. And we rent, we sublet this apartment in like upper Manhattan, never saw it, just like walked in. I didn't even know how we found it with the internet being what it was. And um, I worked for this couple and they did like food and lifestyle photography. So I was their assistant and it was all four by five um, film cameras. And so the first day I show up, we like pile into this SUV and we drive out to Queens and we go to the studio and we shoot a cookbook for this, for this guy who's a chef named Bobby Flay. He's now like a, no, maybe he was famous then. I don't really know. This was almost 20 years ago, but we're just sitting around and then they, they like bring out these trays of food and then we have these cameras and they're photographing it. And then I pull out all the film and give it to these like bike messengers who run it to this lab. And then we eat whatever we just photographed. And then like, we probably wrapped up at like the three o'clock and then headed home. And I, I think it was probably one of the funnest jobs I ever had, but I didn't know it at the time. Like, this is really cool. And we would do that at like different food studios around the city that summer or like they do lifestyle stuff, which is sort of like pictures of fabrics on a nice piece of furniture. And then I went back to school, keep studying and try to do photography, but I wasn't really feeling it. And towards the end of the summer, I watched this TV show. It was like middle of the day, summer TV. Mm -hmm. And it was a replay of true stories from the ER. There's this story about it. And this guy was like a compulsive swallower of foreign objects. So he was like brought in because he had been swallowing pens and like whatever. And then he started like swallowing different objects he was stealing from the ER and they were chasing him around. And I was like, maybe life in medicine would be interesting. And so, and so, and also, so that kind of like was one spark. And then also a bunch of my friends on the wrestling team were pre-med. So we go after practice, you know, we go to the library and I was like, I'll just I'll take some pre-med classes and feel it out. Um, so that's what we did. And at some point I ended up switching in my second year to, to do pre-med and then um, psychology became my major eventually just because I had a lot of credits in psych. And that was sort of how that happened. Ironically, later, at one point I was uh, in my medical training and I was taking care of a patient who was a compulsive swallower of foreign objects. The first time I met him, I met him a lot of times. But the first time he had swallowed knife blades that he had broken off from the handle. And I thought back to that summer when I saw that TV show and I was like, this is everything coming full circle in this moment. Right. And the question, did you say to, did you say to yourself, like, why on earth did I do this? Or this was the right choice? <laughs> yeah. yeah I thought, well, by that time I had decided I was going into radiology and I was like, well, I'm not sure why 
I'm not sure if this would have been the right choice, but my job won't be doing this kind of thing every day. So it was, it ended up being the right choice. So how did you end up choosing radiology? Was it the like photographer in your heart or what, what led you down that path? I had a really good mentor in medical school who was a radiologist. She was my advisor and she would come and lecture us and show, you know, these images. And it was something I felt like I could see. And I don't know if it's because I did photography or not, but, but radiology is not totally intuitive. It's intuitive in some ways, but it's also, you kind of have to be able to see what you're looking at, if that makes sense. So I think because I had taken a lot of photo classes and spent a lot of time thinking about images and analyzing them, I, I had a certain comfort when we started looking at CAT scans and MRIs. And, you know, you have to stretch your imagination a little bit to think about what you're looking at. And I really liked that. And so you don't really get much exposure to radiology when you're in medical school, generally. I asked to do a two-week elective right before I had to choose. So I basically had two weeks to sit behind somebody while they did this and then commit to it for the rest of my life. And, and I'm happy I did. Um, but I, it was sort of a blind, a blind leap in a lot of ways. What else were you considering? Well, initially, I thought about primary care. So for full disclosure, your mother, my mother, is a pediatrician. Same mother, um, yeah. Was a primary care Same doctor. father, too, by the way. Same father, too, yeah. Different <laughs> last name, but same parents. Mother was a primary care pediatrician for 30-something years. So it was not totally out of the realm of normal. And I thought, maybe I'll be a pediatrician. Maybe I'll move back to my small town and try to take you know work at that practice. And then I, as you go through everything, you kind of imagine your life like that. So like I imagined being an eye surgeon and I spent six weeks at New York Eye and Ear, which is a pretty specialized hospital in New York. And it was so cool. Like the eye surgeries are amazing. I loved that. And I thought about it. I thought about emergency medicine. I thought just, but emergency medicine, I thought, you know, it just had this cool swagger to it. You know, you like walk in, you never know what's going to happen. And then you can take it on and, and try to help somebody. But That was sort of at the end, I was sort of deciding between that and radiology. And I talked to my friend who's not involved in medicine at all. He's an art, works for art galleries and worked for Tashin actually for a while, which is a really great art book company. And he was like, radiology is so cool. You have to do it. And I was like, okay, yeah, no, if Jeff Jeff thinks this is good, it is probably cool. And so I ended up applying to radiology and I'm happy I did. You still get a taste of all the different specialties. So there's a mixture, depending on where you work. I mean, now I'm in a very subspecialized cancer center, so it's all cancer all day. But there was, you know, seeing a lot of trauma or, you know, opioid-related things and all that when I was in in training as well. So you, you get a broad spectrum of the human health experience. Since you're my brother, and that means I know you more intimately than I know some of my guests, I do have one more question around radiology for you. As someone who has a really, you know, excellent bedside manner, do you feel like radiology is a profession where you still get to interact with patients? Or, I don't know, that's always something I've wondered about with this field and you. I will admit that we interact with patients much less. Mm-hmm. Um, than I ever anticipated when I went into medicine. There's a lot of time spent alone in the dark room, and that wasn't necessarily what I anticipated. But when I when I said I was going to go to medical school, 
But when I went to radiology, I kind of understood that. Um, but I still do interact almost every day with patients in some way or another mm -hmm. because we do, you know, fluoroscopy studies or you're doing a biopsy or a procedure on somebody. And so you're talking with them about kind of what they're going through. Um, but I'm not having the kind of long or in-depth conversations um, that, you know, a primary care doctor or an, a medical oncologist would have. And so that's definitely a, a trade-off, but I'm very happy with what I'm doing. I think medical imaging is, is really interesting and it's a mental challenge Yeah, in the sense that you're sort of problem solving and you have to have to think on a couple levels to try to piece things together sometimes. Yeah. And it is, I mean, it is a caregiving profession, you know, you're, you're yeah. not making pesticides or, you know, guns right. or anything like that, right? <laughs> True. True. I'm not a merchant of suffering in that way. Right. Right. Well, hopefully you're a merchant <laughs> but, um, of alleviating suffering, at least in the long yeah. term. Yeah. Right. No, that's that I, I'm good with that. I'm ha if that's, if that's what happens then I'm, I'm happy. Yeah. There, there is something very special about being the face-to-face -face doctor that sometimes I do, I would like more of. It's sort of a different, it's a different kind of relationship you have with people. Like most of the people that I'm involved with take, you know, I guess taking care of them or providing medical care, they never know who I am. They never see me. And that's a, that's, that's okay. But it's a different kind of relationship. You're, you're very much behind the scenes. One thing that you do have is that you talk to a lot of doctors. And so, you know, they chat with you about their patients. You know, we have a lot of in-depth conversations with surgeons or, you know, medical doctors or radiation oncologists. And so you get to know a lot of them quite well. Um, so you really are kind of part of this medical community, even if you're not seeing patients face-to-face. Um, so it's not totally disconnected from the human experience, yeah. which is good. Along this journey, what would you say are some of the most important things that you learned, either about yourself or about journeys in general? I'm sure someone will find an exception with this. But I would say there are very few detours in your life that are not worth taking in the sense that everything kind of contributes to your overall sort of journey and what you end up doing. And, um, and it all adds value in some way and it's all worth doing just in and of itself. Um, you know, we talked about a lot of different things today about how I went from just like a, a horse with blinders on as a teenager, just focused on playing one sport to like doing something completely unrelated and sort of the, the paths in between but there were also like other jobs and sort of like weird detours in there that we didn't even touch on. Um, and they were all totally worthwhile and fun and um, I'm glad I did them. Um, so I think if I, if I was talking to me as a young person or some other young person, I would just tell them to enjoy the journey, embrace whatever you're doing and understand that it may lead you places you didn't expect. And that's great. And in the end, you know, you'll end up where you're, you're supposed to be, hopefully. Yeah. Life is, presents you with unexpected things, but, you know, it's all, it's all part of getting you where you're supposed to be. Mm -hmm. And something you wanted to do yesterday may not be something you want to do tomorrow. Yeah. And that's okay. And something you do today may lead you to a, 
a path that you didn't see and didn't expect exactly down the road. Yeah, yeah for sure. Absolutely. So you answered this a little bit, but I, I just want to ask it again that, you know, if you were speaking to 15, 16 year, 17 year olds now, because ideally if we are speaking to ourselves and we're happy with where we are in life, we'd say, do the same thing. Um, right. But if you're speaking to, you know, high school students now, uh, what advice would you give them as they are starting on the journey towards finding their path and making their path in life? I would say um, keep an open mind and follow the thing you love to do. But with the caveat that it may not end up taking you where you thought it would. I feel like the advice that people always gave me when I was that age was just do what you love and it'll work itself out. But Mm -hmm. if I just did what I loved, I don't know what I would be doing today because I, I don't know if I could pay rent for my family. I just indulged all my hobbies. If I was talking to my 15 year old self, I think I would, or other 15 year olds, I would encourage them to follow their passions, but with a sense of their context in the greater world. We live in a ever evolving society um, as you know, it's it's changing by the day um not just the pandemic that we're in but um you know it's a, it's an unusual time maybe in our our country's history um and you want to be aware of you know how you could pursue your passion in a way that that fits in with the greater scheme and if helping people is important to you how that how that might come about so but i think you can do it in whatever way fits your interests you know i ended up finding medicine on the circuitous route, but my wife found her path through art and she puts a lot of meaning and a lot of sort of concepts into her art about sort of bigger picture things. Um, so I, I think there's no, and then my brother has this school, um, <laughs> <laughs> which is amazing. So there's really no wrong answer for, for what your passion should be as long as you find a way to pursue it and try to find purpose for yourself. Mm-hmm. I think that's very wise. A wise man told me that once. Yeah. Who was he? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I do think, I do think it's important to acknowledge that you still do some photography and some wrestling. Uh, even do. though You've taken a different path. Yeah, I do. Yeah. And, um, no, I've, I founded a kid's wrestling club in my town where I live now at the request of my, of my oldest child. Um, and I coached that the last two winners and it's, it's been really fun. We actually have lots of kids come. We were averaging like 16 kids every, every week, surprisingly hard to keep control of that many kids at once when you give them like free reign to throw each other around. So, but it's, it's quite fun. Um, and I still do a little bit of photography when I find time and music was my other kind of hobby that I just love to play. So um, I do I do play music still for myself. Um, so, you know, I didn't pursue any of those as a career per se, but I enjoy them avocationally. Yeah, as they say. It's actually a, a new question I'm asking people this season. What advice would you have for young people, as a physician or as a father or as a human being, to help them support themselves and sort of care for themselves during this time? Yeah, well. This disease is very unusual. 
because by nature, it isolates us from our communities. So we're all locked in our house. We can't really help your neighbor. You can't really watch someone's kids while they go to work because they can't send them to school because schools are closed. Um, so it's very uniquely isolating. And I would encourage everyone to be a little more patient with each other, a little more patient with themselves, and just realize it's going to be a while that this goes on. Um, and so to, to try to be a little compassionate for yourself and those around you, um, I think maybe people get a little frustrated and a little bit short-tempered or, or bored or lonely or sad. And it's, it just hang in there and, um, and do your best to, to realize we're all getting through it together. I really hope this doesn't go on as long as it potentially could. It could go on for a long time. So um, be patient and, and be kind to each other. That would be my advice. And if you're bored at home, try teaching yourself a musical instrument, yeah. perhaps classical guitar. Right. I, maybe I should. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But yeah. you're not bored. I mean, you're, you're running a school from home. So. Yeah, I'm fi- it's funny. I'm, not a, I'm finding a lot of things to fill my time with. Yeah. <laughs> Strange. I yeah. think that was excellent advice. Sure. Um, thanks, Dave. This has been yeah. wonderful. Um, maybe we'll have to do it again sometime. Yeah. That would be fun. Maybe if I have something more interesting in my life to talk about. I think that was very interesting. We should just start a side podcast. We can just yeah. get together and just, you know, yeah, a lot about things. Brothers. <laughs> Brothers. It, it worked for uh, John and Hank Green. Well, it's good right. to talk to you. Yeah, you too. Yeah. I hope you guys uh, have a, I can't even remember what day of the week it is. It's Monday. Cause now, I work, now I'm working from my basement. So I, every day is the same. I hope you enjoyed our conversation with David Bates. I continue to be really excited about the second season of We Make the Road by Walking. We have some other great guests coming our way. Please subscribe so that you can hear their stories. Please give us a five-star review. Uh, share the podcast around. And if you want to tell your story, feel free to reach out. You can learn more about City of Bridges uh, on the web at www.cityofbridgeshighschool.org uh, and on social media at City of Bridges HS. Uh, the music was composed by Kelly and Chris Miskus. As always, have a wonderful week. Please reach out. Please share. Please listen. Please subscribe. And uh, talk to you soon. Take care.